0: good morning well if you were here expecting daniel to preach jokes on you you. yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's not too late to leave you can hear the sermon online um yeah all right well i hope everybody's doing well hope you guys are having a good week i'm getting back in the swing of things school has started again Many of you guys know I took a few days, got to strike, got to walk, got that full experience. It was terrible.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I'd rather be dealing with middle schoolers than walking the pavement for eight hours. All right. So I'm really excited to be able to continue this talk through 1 Peter, our study, going through it and picking up where uh, Daniel has been walking us through as we've been learning about. Um, Peter's charge to the elect exiles, right? And he's, he goes through all these things, and, he, and where we're going to now, as Daniel kind of left off uh, last week, was he said that verses 11 and 12 were kind of like a kickstarter to the next few sermons that were going to be coming up, and really what it is, is it's like chapter, the rest of chapter 2. Chapter 3 and uh, about half of chapter 4 is really Peter explaining us what does it actually look like to live in accordance to God's will um, as you read through his scriptures, as you uh, dive in deeper to who he is, how that practically plays out. So let's go ahead and let's backtrack a little bit. So actually, I'm going to go ahead and start with uh, verse 9 and go through 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, this is where it gets important, okay? So let's, let's verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter sets up this whole picture for us, Right? you guys need to look set apart, right? Is our title of our sermon series, Set Apart. You guys have to look this part and follow in Christ's footsteps so that these things that he talks about in verses 11 and 12 will glorify God through our actions. And then he goes on to talk about what does this practically look like for us as believers, as followers of Christ. And What's awesome is that we've, uh, many of you guys know that here at the Mountain Church, especially starting with our core value sermon, like we've been trying to get more practical. How does this play out in our day-to-day lives? What does this look like? What does it sound like kind of deal, right? Like we've, we've started going through some of those things. And what's awesome is as I continue to try to study this passage and to try and get like that deeper meaning from our passage today, what's awesome is that Peter kind of gives us the what does it look like and what does it sound like. Right? There's really not much to dive into here because he's very clear, he's very explicit on what he wants from believers, what he thinks or what he believes and what we know is inspired by the word of God, uh, from the Holy Spirit of how believers are to act, hold themselves, conduct in different situations. Today we get to talk about submission to authority Okay, So right away, we have two very like triggering words in our society. First one being submission. People just can't stand that word. And then the second one, authority. Oh my gosh, don't talk about authority, right? Because you don't have authority over me. I don't know how many times teaching middle school I hear that. You're not my dad. You're not my mom. You're not my aunt. You're not my grandma. You can't talk to me like that. You have no authority. And I try to rein them in and remind them, that my classroom is a totalitarian dictatorship, and whatever I say goes right <laughs> so <laughs> no, I try and speak it to them right like you 're right i can 't like force you to grab a pencil and write, but you should want more for yourself right you want to you should want to be. An example to others. You should want to show yourself as who you truly can be. And I feel like that's where Peter kind of starts to go here. So what I'm going to do is I'm only going to spend a few minutes talking about this. I don't really feel like I need to dive into each word. I don't need to go into the the Greek root of everything because I think Peter is very explicit. And so we're just going to walk through and look at a couple practical things of what this looks like. So first, let's talk about verses, uh, let's go 13 through 15. So be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So right here, Paul or Peter is saying something that Paul has said in his letters to the Romans as well that there is a way you should handle yourself as a citizen. And the first thing that he says is not because of who the authority is, not because it's the, the governor and like they like have done something great that they deserve anything, but he starts off right at the beginning that he says, for the Lord's sake. So I think it's important for us to remember that Peter is starting off by saying there is a high authority, and that high authority is the Lord right he is above all things he is set above he is the ruler of all things he is the king of kings the lord of lords he is up there right nobody higher than him so because of who he is so i love how he starts it this way right he starts with a why because of who god is you should make yourself a great citizen that's really what he's saying here make yourself a great citizen submit yourself to the rule. So, what does this kind of look like? Well, I think there's a few things. There's a practical application that we can take from this in our day and age, and then there's really a thought process of what Peter was trying to get back or get to here. So, I think really what we can dive into first is to get into his thought process. I think Peter was really trying to tell these elect exiles that first and foremost, you submit yourself to those authority because God has placed them in authority. Second of all, it's to get rid of a lot of the things that were happening at the time. If you did not complain about the authority, if you submitted yourself to authority and you did what they asked you to do, you were setting yourself above reproach. You were making it so that they could not tell you that you were treasonous, that you had these desires to overthrow the government. Any of those things were wiped out because you were a model citizen. You did what you were asked, you followed directions, you did you followed the laws, you paid your taxes when taxes were due. And I think, how does that then, we talk, so we look at what Peter's really trying to get at for them, looking at our practical application for this. So when I started to think for myself, okay, when I read this passage, how does this apply to me? What are some things that I do? Well, first and foremost, I went to that natural one. I don't break any laws, so I'm good. Right? I'm good. I don't break laws anymore. Uh, uh High school. Yeah, you know, high school yeah. Oh, I I should confess, I I drove around my buddy's car all the time when I was like fifteen and and without a license. And so, you know, I I have I I haven't I, I it's not always been my MO to follow the law, but we're there now. So I give an honest try to always follow the law. And so I said, Okay, so for me this is good. We're we're good. I'm I'm golden on this. But then I, when we started to look at those things and started to think about what was Peter trying to get to to be above reproach, to rem, eliminate these ideas of treason, to get people to think about that, I started thinking, do I do some of those things? I do. I do. Man, when, when I had to pay tabs on my truck and I saw how expensive it was, oh, man, how could they charge me this much? That stinks. Like, man, this is terrible. Government, ugh, you know? <laughs> and then we realized. I realize that that's exactly what Peter's talking about here. Man, submit. Pay taxes. Say, man, I'm so glad my tabs are that high. I really hope that that benefits somebody. I don't know how it works, but God's in control. He's doing it for a reason. He's, got it in, a, he's, he's in control. So when I have to pay that, like, that overpriced bill for my tabs, praise God. He's doing something. I don't know what it is, but he's doing something. When we think about the practical application, when we think about our last presidential campaign, that got ugly. Holding signs, not my president, does not fit here. Holding, you know, campaigning slander on the internet, on Facebook. And I thank God that that's not really an issue in our church. Not that I've seen at least. Slanderous campaigns online, this person is Terrible. Any of those kind of things. That's not our role. That's not our job. We are to be set apart from the world. Let the world do that. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have your own beliefs and the way we're not, I'm not going one side or the other here. You have your personal convictions and you will vote how you vote, and you have that right. But the idea is that as something happens, Our job, like in the last presidential election, I remember Daniel got up here and said, no matter the outcome, no matter what you wanted, our main responsibility is to pray for a leader and pray that that leader is following God's will. And we know God is in control, and he is doing something for a specific reason, and so we get behind that. We are model citizens. And he says in 15, he gives his, I just love that as he finishes that, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Right? That's the reason. So there's there's your why, right? Don't give people reason to bash to hate to criticize the faith. Right? That's the worst thing we could do is give people a foothold into wanting to destroy Christianity. We saw that in that election. People under the name of evangelism saying some terrible things. That's not who we should be. That's not how we should be marked. So, some of us then, I know for a fact, probably some of us are thinking though, but William, there are some crazy things that happen in politics that we need to like... Try and like change, right? Abortion, marriage, the definition of marriage. I get it. There are tough things. The problem is, and I love this. I was talking to my uh, mother-in-law the other uh, morning, and she was talking to me about their church and their pastor and what he says. And he says there's a lot of times we focus a lot on the symptoms. We focus on the symptoms, and we tend to focus on those way too much. Those little political things are the symptoms of a greater problem, and that greater problem is the lack of Jesus in people's lives. So we can attack those symptoms. We can do that, but what ends up usually happening when we attack those symptoms is it creates a deeper divide, and it gets us away from the point of needing to share Jesus and people experiencing Jesus in their lives. So then what happens in those situations, okay? So we, we have symptoms, we have these things, they come up, people talk to us about them, laws are passed, we as believers don't necessarily agree with those. What is our responsibility? Well, this is where it gets a little difficult because we are supposed to submit to the authorities in place, but then at the same time, in the in the first verse of this section, what does it tell us? It's do it because Jesus is Lord, right? So God is our higher power. He is the end-all, be-all. So then what it comes down to is we have to make sure that we are submitting to authority, submitting to the local governments, whatever it is, as long as it's not asking us to sin, right? So the question becomes, oh, my goodness, what does that look like, right? Well, I love the fact that the Old Testament gives us some great examples of this. Anybody know where I'm going to go with this? Awesome. I love it. Let's go. Can you guys do with me here real quick? Let's go to Daniel. Since Daniel can't preach, we're going to go to his book today. Let's go to Daniel 3. Do you guys remember this story? King Nebuchadnezzar's golden image, right? So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I really want to read the whole thing, but Kelly told me I probably shouldn't yesterday. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. But let's go over what happens. Hopefully we have, like, the basic understanding. And if you haven't read this, hopefully you saw the Veggie Tales on it, and so you kind of (laughs) know. And if you haven't, I highly suggest you watch it because it's awesome. So King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, right? And it gives all these uh, dimensions of it. It was huge, right? It was this giant image. And the whole purpose of this image was that he wanted people to worship this image. So he created this mandate, this rule, and he said, anytime music is played, you are to worship this image, right? That's what you're supposed to do. So most of the country goes, okay, sounds great, right? Well, you have these three people who are higher-ups in the, if you want to call it local government, that's what we'll call it. They're higher-ups in there, right? And they, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm probably saying their names wrong, Um, Nathan likes to correct me on that all the time I don't I don't know exactly how to change it but they go ahead and they say we can't do that we can't do that that's contrary to what God is telling us to do because we shall have no other gods before the Lord our God right we can't do that but I want you to notice and take heed of like what happens in this book what does not happen is they do not, as the three of them, go out and hold signs in the street and start picketing and start trying to rile up the crowd, start a riot, start, like, this huge, like, pushback and, like, we're going to challenge the government, we're going to do whatever. They don't do that. That's not their aim. But what they, do, what they do decide to do is they say, we can't do that, so we're not going to do that. We're just going to continue to worship our God, and whatever happens, happens. And so we know that and then what happens is that it says uh, there were certain Chal- uh, Chaldeans that came forward maliciously to accuse the Jews. So they, there was people that had it out for them, right? This is the whole, like, the whole big deal. They had it out for them. And so they bring them before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar says, how come you guys aren't doing this? And they pretty much give their reason, right? Because we can't. We can't do it. And so they meet their fate, Right? It says I think it's in uh, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in a fierce rage uh, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be brought. So they were brought before or er, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said to them, "Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up for you?" Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn the pipe, right, he goes on. I'm not going to read all this. Um, And he goes on to ask them, Who's gonna, uh, I'm gonna cast you in the fire, uh, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love their response, right? God's going to get us out of this. But if he doesn't, oh, well, he's got a bigger plan, right? They provide the model response to what it looks like to submit to authority, but at the same time, not compromise their faith in God, right? They have a responsibility. They were respectful. They honored Nebuchadnezzar's wishes, Notice they did not say, this is unfair, this is unjust, you're treating us wrong. They embraced it. They said, it's okay. God will save us. What does that saving look like? We don't know. But it will happen. Love it. And then the the greatest thing, uh, uh, three chapters later, Daniel chapter 6. Many of you guys probably are a little bit more familiar with this one, right? Daniel and the lion's den. right? Same thing. almost the exact same principle, correct? King Darius gets told that he should make this decree that for like 30 days you can only pray to Darius, right? Like he want, like you can't pray to any other gods. So he puts it into play and we know the whole or if you don't know it, the whole backstory is that these people want Daniel gone, they don't want him in any sort of power, right? So they're going to do whatever they can. And what does Daniel do when he finds out that he's not supposed to pray to God? What does he do? Praise to God, but how does he do it? Yeah, he opens the windows and he goes and prays facing Jerusalem like he's always done. But he didn't openly go out and start to find him in the streets, right? He didn't try and rally the troops and like, let's have a big prayer meeting. Let's stick it to him, right? Let's go to the flagpole and circle around and start praying. And like that'll really take it to him. No, he doesn't do that. He continues to do what he is called to do, right? That he goes to a quiet place. He sits down. He prays. He meditates to God. And the people who are out to get him, they call him out on it, right? He gets brought before King Darius. And King Darius tries everything in his might, right? Because he loves Daniel. Tries everything in his might to get him out of it, but he can't. He can't go back on his word. So, Daniel embraces his fate. You're right. I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to pray. And if I have to go into a lion's den for that, then so be it. I will go in there. Same kind of response. God will protect me. I think that these are great examples in the Old Testament of what it looks like to submit to authority, yet be a great citizen at the same time and a great witness for who God is. Um, If you want another example, I believe it's in Matthew 22, I think. Um, where it talks about Peter and John, right? Peter and John get brought before the council. They get asked to stop preaching the gospel, and they say, we can't do that. And so if you want to, you're going to have to hold on to us kind of deal, right? And so (laughs) fearing a rebellion, they send, you know, Peter and John back out there and let them, you know, know, Peter and John go back to do their thing. But they kind of, they make them aware we're going to do this. We're not trying to, like, overthrow your government. That has nothing to do with, like, anything going on here. And so that's why the, uh, the council was having a hard time dealing with them as well. All right. So do we all have, like, a good understanding, do we think, of, like, what it looks like to submit to the authority of our government and, and to look at it? And like I said, those practical applications, I really – I hope the next time you complain about your taxes, you think about me, which then will make you think about Peter's words for us here which will make us think about God's ultimate command to us is to be subject to those ruling authorities and to be joyful in it. So then verse 15 uh, leaves us us off, right, with that will help us put the ignorance of foolish people to silence. So then we go into verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, verse 16, I think, is a very important verse in here because it helps then not only uh, tie us to our next piece, but it also gives us a reflection piece to what we are uh, to do as model citizens as well. So what I want to do now is I want to take a look at that verse and think about another time in scripture where we hear this verse. We also see this verse in Galatians 5. I don't normally do this Bible jumping, so I'm really excited. So let's go ahead and go to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Got to know your Bible today. Galatians 5. Ben, you got a super loud voice. Can you read it out loud for us? Um, I'm sorry. Uh, 13 through 21.
1: Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing things that you do not want to do. Yes, sir.
0: such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I think this is a great tie. Thank you, Ben, for reading that. I think this is a great tie into this verse that we just read because we have Peter's writing this same thing, right? Essentially, our statement is, do not use your freedom to cover up evil, right? Evil intent, whatever it is, because I have the grace of God, I'm free to do whatever I want to do, right? Now, putting this into context, I love this because I think that as we think about submitting to authority, submitting to those who are above us, I think that Paul does a great job of expounding on this and what that will look like. And I think that as he gets into his into his description of what it looks like to live in the flesh, to live for those evil desires or those intents that they say, I want to pull out just a few of those, those words that come out of there when we talk about... Um, uh, jealousy, rivalries, dissension, division. As we talked about those, that latest presidential election, what did what happened? All of those things. It drove a wedge. Right when people got selfish, when they stopped focusing on Christ and what His mission is for us here, and we started getting focused on our own ideals, how politics play into Christianity, how our own moral standards play into politics, which then plays into Christianity, it started to divide a wedge. And I think that that's very apparent here as Paul makes his statement of not using your freedoms to live how you want to live. So I think it's important for us to see an entire picture here that it all starts to play together, right? if we don't submit to our local authorities, if we don't submit to those who are above us, what ends up happening is we end up with evil intent and we end up with those things that are gonna cause us pain in our lives because they are not focused on Christ. So then we go ahead and we go into verse 17. Verse 17 is a great verse. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God Honor the emperor. He's very specific word choice here, right? This is him essentially establishing the hierarchy again, right? He's kind of just continually reminding of this, of us. He says, honor everyone. What does honor mean? Well, I don't know. It means to treat with respect, really, right? Treat with respect. At a basic human level, everybody deserves respect. Especially as believers, we have... <laughs> We should be the best at this. Our conversations with people, even people who live alternative lifestyles to what we believe, people who don't look like us, whatever it is, there is that basic level of respect that goes across the board. Whether we agree with them politically, whether we agree with their lifestyle, any of those things. Peter tells us to honor everyone. Then he says what? Love the brotherhood. Daniel's talked about this last couple weeks, right? And he's mentioned it multiple times before. Man, as a believer, it's hard not to see somebody loving the church. Have to. If you love Jesus, you will love his bride, the church. It's just going to happen. So he shows that. Honor people. Love the brotherhood. Love the body. Be around them. Spend time with them. Be devoted to them. And then he chooses a very specific word here. Fear God. God is the only one you have to fear. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did this, correct? They feared God over the repercussions of a earthly death. They didn't care. Serving God's way more important. I fear him and what he can do with my soul over what a man can do to my flesh. Daniel, same thing, right? Peter, John, and their witnessing, same thing. Fear God. And then he goes back and he reminds you, honor the emperor. Show him the respect he deserves because as we go back and look, he is there because the Lord placed him there. For good or for bad, for good or for bad, he's there because God placed him there. And I think it's just good for us to, to wrap up kind of this little section by understanding that, that understanding um, if you guys have been reading the Ephesians for you book, um, the author talks about this idea that even a bad government is better than no government. They at least can hold some sort of moral values. Hopefully, their uh, you know, murder is not in the way. He talked about, um, I, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but he talked about even just in the idea like when Saddam Hussein was removed from power, like chaos ensued, right? Because there was no government, there was no, so people were fighting for that power, they were trying to move in. And he was saying like, man, even in that moment, Like, what follows after that, you know, we we can debate about, but the idea was in that moment, power was removed, there was no government, and chaos ensued because there was no law, really. And so what Peter's trying to show us here is that, like, God places authorities in our lives to hold some sort of moral ground. So then he goes into 18, and I think 18 kind of kept throwing me for a loop this week. Because he's been talking about this submission to authority, right? And it's all about the government. And he kind of like keeps talking about the government. And then all of a sudden he dives in and he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also the unjust. And I was kind of like, okay, why, like, all of a sudden his mind just changed. Like he's just like authority, government. Now all of a sudden it's like, now we're going to talk about servants and masters. Well, one one interesting thing that I had read was that, this does kind of like lead one lead into the other. Because what would happen in this time in the, the Greco-Roman world was that if you actually became a Christian, you had a very good chance that you were going to essentially, you were throwing away all of your like esteem, like all your power, any of your like clout that you might have in the city. Like you were getting like, if you became a Christian, that, there's a good chance that was all going away. And you were probably going to end up as a, um, as he calls it, servant we don't really have a good English word for it because it's not quite like a slave. Because whenever we use the word slave, what we think about the American South and the mistreatment of slaves in that way. And these servants were a lot of times mistreated in this time. Like there was still a lot of the craziness that went along um, with that. But they were—it's kind of this weird thing. Uh, trying to do more research on it, but like they, they were somewhere between like an indentured servant and like an employee that could be treated like however they wanted to. But they were still paid. They could buy their way out of slavery. But they had to have, like, the owner helping. I mean, it's just a crazy system that we just don't know. We don't understand. We don't have it. So the word that gets translated here is servant. So hopefully you guys understand, that like, it's different than what we saw in the American South. It's a different um, mindset in the idea of slavery. But he goes on and he says, and so in our application, we want to be thinking about this. I would be thinking about this as your job, right? Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So we've heard this before. We went through this in Ephesians. If you were with us in Ephesians, you're supposed to be the best employee, right? At your job, you should be the best employee. And I want to even throw this out there, and I want to challenge you guys. I think what's interesting is that Peter, when he talks about this, he's very explicit in the way he says things, right? He doesn't really leave a lot out. This is what I want. This is what it should look like. Like, right? Christ's life is a certain way. This is what it should look like when we model our our way. And like, he doesn't leave a lot out. But I think it's interesting here that as we've read through this section, when I got to here in, in my studies, all of a sudden it dawned on me, Peter never really says start grabbing for power, right? Change the system. Get into power so you can change it. Be the voice. Speak out. You know what I mean? A lot of times our Americanistic minds go there, right? Well, if I could just get into politics, if we just got the right person in there, we'd be able to change things. This would be an American country again, right? This country's on its way to hell, and we're going to change it, right? That's not what Peter says here. Peter's not getting at that. Peter actually says that it's better for you to be a servant because you are more Christ-like when you serve. When you start to grab for power, when you start to change things for your own will, when you start to do things for that way, you are actually starting to act like the world, what we read about in Galatians 5. Jealousy, envy, Strife, these things that we start to reach for because somebody has something different than us and we want it. So I would challenge us thinking of our jobs. What's our goal? Because if our goal is to get promoted, then we might need to rethink what's happening there. Because Peter does not tell us like, you know, and we sometimes I think we, we can fly it under that flag sometimes. Like, yeah, like I think to myself, like if I can just become a, prin- a principal at my building, like the kids will act differently. The students will be uh, way better behaved. Um, I'm going to be able to like speak the gospel to my staff and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but then like starting to think back and like trace that back, like a lot of times that doesn't work because what that does is that drives a further wedge because now I'm putting my agenda on them and they don't like it. And then who am I really serving? I'm really just serving myself because I want to change things. I want to do it. And Peter is showing us that he says, when servants are subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. So our bad ones, right? The contrary to the uh, good ones. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. So when thinking of God, when God is in your conscience, when he is driving your decisions, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly and then he goes on to say in verse 20 for what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it and you endure but if when you do good and suffer for if excuse me and suffer for it you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God and that idea of like gracious is is going back to that first word of credit like this is like really talking about like this is God like God's gonna count this towards you like You're blessed. You have this great thing that God has given you because he's allowed you to suffer. It's a weird concept for us to think about, isn't it? It's hard for me. Wow, I get to suffer. It's just hard. It's hard for me to think about that. So I challenge us and I challenge myself this you know, as we think about our jobs, as we think about the type of employees we are to really start to think about this, are we living a life that is grateful in our suffering, in our jobs, as things that are unfair happen to us, that we are so excited for those opportunities because in those opportunities are the times that we really get to show the hope of Christ that we have. When things are going well, it's really hard to show the hope that we have, right? yeah, I'm getting promoted, I bought my new boat, I got my new house, all these things are going well, right? Like people are going to look at you and be like, yeah, that guy's just living the American dream, right? But when we think about suffering, man, this guy's boss is terrible. Treats him like dirt, underpaid, overworked, yet he's got a smile on his face every stinking day, I don't get it. People ask questions. People want to know, what is the hope that you have that you are being overworked, underpaid, treated terribly, yet you can come here with a smile on your face and a jovial bounce in your step? Why do you look different? Peter has shown us that this is the best way we can be a representative of Christ. And I promise you, I'm not making this up because what we find is that when we look at the end of this Chat, or at the end of the chapter, we see it. For this, or for to this, you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His footsteps. So Peter's just calling it for what it is right away. Jesus suffered, you suffer. Right? There's no way around it. There's, we can't like justify this in our mind. Well, He doesn't really mean that we should suffer. It's probably just like. Things aren't always going to go well in our lives. Well, you're right. Things aren't going to go well in your lives all the time, but he really says you're going to suffer. Christ suffered, died. Does our life look like that? I'm convicted by that because I don't think mine does very often. I live a pretty comfortable life, if I'm being honest with you guys. I got a roof over my head. I can walk to a fridge that has food. I got running water. I got two cars. I can go two different places if I need to, right? Pretty comfortable. Pretty comfortable. We are called to suffer. Now take a look at it. He goes back now because not only, we kind of look at this passage in two pieces. He gives us the what. What is it supposed to look like? And then he gives us the why, right? And he kind of started with the why, like a sneak preview of the why, but now he really hits it hard. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He had all right to, and he had all power to threaten them. You guys, you better watch your step because you don't know who you're dealing with. But he didn't. He kept quiet and he took it. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. In his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By the wounds you have, or by his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and the overseers of your soul. I think that this is a great place, and I think it's awesome that that Peter included this for us. It's a great reminder that Christ suffered on a cross for our sins. Right, The things that we've done, the things that we are doing, and the things that we will do have all been atoned. Right, And out of that, if we are to model our lives to be like Christ, which we see all throughout scriptures, right, empty ourselves, no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, that we will live a life of suffering. I remember uh, I have a friend, a good friend, long-time friend, and his wife posted something online one time. There was an article that said like, I don't know what it was, seven, seven lies that we need to stop teaching our, our youth in like youth group. And I think number, I always remember this it was like number six, number six, you will be persecuted for your faith. That was a lie apparently that we've been teaching our kids. And my question to you is if our mindset is getting there that we think we will not be persecuted for our faith, are we living our faith out correctly? I mean, to me, it's pretty hard to think about that point. If we are not being persecuted, if we are not suffering, are we living our lives correctly in relationship to this scripture when we see that we should be suffering? I don't know. Do we financially give what's comfortable so we can still live our comfortable lives, or do we give not just out of our abundance, but out of our poverty, like we see in uh, Second Corinthians 5. Am I right on that? Right? You guys remember that? Is it 5? And, 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 eight. and 8. Okay. Second Corinthians 8. Somebody can fact check me on that. I'll appreciate that later. But we know that, you know, uh, was Jerusalem was going through their, uh, their drought, right? And the Macedonians gave out of their poverty with joy. Do we do that? They suffered for it. They're giving away the little food that they have out of their poverty so that they could suffer so that the saints could endure. Suffering for Christ. What do we use our finances for? What do we use our home for? What do we use our time for? Are we suffering in those ways? It's more than just a physical suffering. It's all of life. And what's awesome is that we don't have to look at it and look at it as a negative thing. We want to look upon suffering and say it is a joyous thing that we get to suffer because Christ suffered for us first. And I want to live a life like Christ. I want to be dedicated to him and seeing his word played out on this earth. I want to do my part to show the kingdom of God here today in the city of Des Moines. When we look at Jesus' example, how we submit to authority, even Pilate, when he had his opportunity, said what? I find no guilt in this man. Jesus was a model citizen. He was not challenging the governments. He was not out there trying to show like this crazy, I don't know what it is, social justice stuff, um, taxes, different laws being in place. That was not his agenda. His agenda was one thing following the will of God and showing that to people, everyone. My hope is for myself and for you guys that as we go out, we think about this in our daily life. Politics may not be the thing for us at the moment when we submit and when we suffer, but what is it? Is it our job? Is it our, the way we stay at home, deal with the kids? You know? Whatever it is, do we look like we have joy in those moments when our kids are screaming at us and don't want to do what, they te- you know, what we've told them? Do we find joy in that? Thank you, Lord, for my screaming child because I'm suffering right now and now I remember what it was like for you to be on the cross and this is only like a fraction of it, not even like a blip on the radar really compared to what you did. So, thank you for that. Hopefully, through this, I get to share with another parent my struggles and to show them that my joy is not found in that. It's found in the identity that Jesus suffered for me so that I don't have to for eternity. It's just so great to see how Christ uses things that are so countercultural to us to bless his mission here, to bless us to be able to be a part of that mission. My hope and prayer is that we not lose that side of that, that we not look at our suffering as God looking down on us. But as we suffer, it's God blessing us with the opportunity to find even more joy in him, to find more peace in him and to be able to share that with the rest of the world. Let's go ahead and pray.